Maybe yeah. not so much if you don't understand what it's going to cost you on the sell side and you can understand what 50 points means to the dealership, then those are those incentive things. New customers, just start there. Every new customer gets, you know, 500 points or something like that. Spend over $1,000 in a month, get 10 points. Something at least you can control that's not variable. You know, again, if you don't understand it, don't be in the variable mode. Do something you can understand and control. Hey everybody, welcome power sports enthusiasts and dealership managers to another episode of the Dealership Fix It podcast. I am your host, my name is Jacob Berry, and we are back again with our special guest, Justin Quinn. And he's here for round three to provide us with some insights on the DMS, the data management system within your dealership. Welcome back, Justin. Nice to have you again. Hey. Yeah, Jacob, thanks for having us again. Excited for round three here. Man, I got to tell you, we are getting some great feedback. The people that are listening to these episodes that we've done so far, they're loving it. They're learning a lot and they're hopefully taking this valuable advice that we're giving them and implement it at their store. But uh, we're getting a lot of listens. We're getting a lot of comments on it. So we definitely want to keep this conversation rolling. And I think today we wanted to focus more on the service side of the DMS. Okay, so let's just kind of get into it, you know, not to make a big commercial for DX1, even though you're here on behalf of DX1, and that's your product. Uh, let's just talk in generalities again, just to keep it fair for everybody, but the DMS and its relationship with the service department, just kind of give us a quick high overview of what your DMS does and what all the other DMSs do, do in terms of what it does for service, repair orders, the technicians, just kind of give us a quick overview of what all that entails. Sure. Well, I, I think this is probably, you know, parts are high volume, but I think you're doing a lot of very similar tasks, you know, at least in our system and systems I've worked in, there's a lot of avenues through a repair order, right? You know, you got fees and taxes and sublet and of course parts are coming over. You have labor technicians and many cases you're dealing with things like warranty, you know, just there's a lot of working parts, a lot of a lot of things that happen after you do the job as well when it comes to reporting or filing claims or, or things like that. So, you know, I think in general, you know, most DMSs I've used have really tried to assist in that area. You know, we, we've talked a lot about communication. I know in the last three podcasts, you know, it's something that that our DMS works on is, you know, kind of an internal notification system. And I think, you know, that's really where the meat and potatoes of it is, you know, obviously you're, you're, you got customers that come in. So when that's, you know, being able to look up the units, keep track of them, have things like unit history, you know, those are all, all components uh, that you you've seen in the DMS. Uh, one of the the parts I think that we do is it's, it's not so, so unique um, towards, you know, doing a unique workflow, but um, you know, we hear a lot with our service departments, I think more than any other area we're at that, the views and the and the things they're doing, they need customization. You know, I don't really get that too much, you know, in feedback from our major unit and part side, but when they're looking at a list of customers and they're trying to answer questions, do things like scheduling, you know, really come up with a plan. Um, dealers really want to see different types of information based off the different types of workflows they have. So you know, I think that's one of the big things with our DMS um, is just making sure that our dealers can configure a lot of that view themselves, which, you know, may seem simple up front, but when you think about, especially a service rider, service manager, somebody who's 
you know, literally just taking phone call after phone call after phone call, you know, trying to answer questions. And and probably the number one question a service person is going to get is, when is my unit going to be ready, right? So, you know, quickly being able to access that information and provide uh, the information your customer is looking for is really important. So I think, you know, overall for all the DMSs, that's that's one of the major, major aspects um, is just, you know, getting one place for all these working parts to go and then to quickly be able to access the information that customers are looking for. Let's talk about it in terms of breaking it up by the customers that the service department might have, right? So obviously yeah. there's the, the the customer that brings in their vehicle that wants their vehicle fixed, but we also have another customer called the sales department, right? The the, the guys in the front of the house. That's so right, let's right. let's let's start more or less with the the customer, right? Because that's going to be probably the lion's share of an average service department in the power sports business. When we break it up on a per user basis, and we can go over each one of these, but when we talk about advisors, we talk about technicians. You mentioned managers, and I think we need to talk about also the scheduler, right? If that's a position that is held separately from those other ones, let's kind of talk about, uh, you know, what each function that particular position might have in the DMS and just kind of go down the list. So let's start with advisors. I'm always hearing that dealerships, they want to start using a, almost like a CRM-esque tool for their advisors to kind of help organize their customers because what's the biggest complaint in any service department? My my advisor never got back to me. My I don't know what's going on with my vehicle, right? I never got an email or text or a phone call. So tell me a little bit about how a DMS, while we're looking at all this information about that customer's vehicle progress, how it can help the advisor communicate to the customer a little bit better. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously there's there's many stages of a repair, you know, just in general, you know, there's a, a drop-off period, you know, there's an inspection period, there's depending on what it is, if it's not just maintenance, it's a repair, there may be some time to diagnose that afterwards, and then, you know, order parts and get parts and install parts. And so, you know, when you think about all these steps that it's going to take from the beginning to the end, you know, depending on your role, having basically a way and a mechanism to see that, that process happening as it goes, right? You know, if you call me and, hey, you know, it's Jacob and I want to see what's going on with my YZ450, I might have, you know, four or five of them in here, you know, 50, 60, 100, hundreds of open ROs. Uh, and yeah, finding it would be good, but, you know, I want to be able to quickly give you information. So again, you know, finding ways to um, look at those stages of repairs, you know, have a, has a technician been assigned and, you know, have any hours been worked on, you know, all those types of things. Um, and I mentioned, you know, our grid or what we would call like a service invoice list. Most DMSs have these, you know, it's kind of your landing page, your high level where you see it. Um, one of the things we're trying to do, which I told you about the customized customization of the grid is it's not just so much a bunch of columns of customer information here, but things that can be interactive. So um, us and other, other DMSs have things like job indicators, you know, that can be controlled by people within the dealership. So, you know, if you're a uh, a service coordinator or, and, and you're trying to get things on schedule, then you can use an indicator to say the, you know, appointment has been scheduled or needs a test ride or ready for rack or those types of things. So, you know, if the DMSs provide tools for the dealers to use that can, it can really help uh, designate where the stage is at within the repair order. And you, if in that situation, trying to deal with getting an answer to the customer, don't have to go on a big fishing expedition. You can just quickly one or two clicks, get a, a quick update of what you want. That's what you're looking for, for the customers. So providing those tools for those types of positions who are interacting with the customers all the time is important. Now, we've also talked about, you know, our goal here to focus a little bit more on what we do uh, compared to maybe some of our other competitors is you, you nailed it. 
you know, um, I didn't get a call back. I didn't get a notice. I didn't get any updates, you know, and, and I would say for a lot of dealers, it's a luxury to have, you know, maybe a, a manager, a service writer, a, a, a coordinator, you know, there's a lot of dealerships where it's two, three, four, five people trying to do the whole thing. Right. So, you know, when you break it down like that, you know, the fact is, regardless of what position you're going to be in, you easily want to make sure that you can find the information you're looking for. And then again, get that distributed to the customers. And I mentioned within our system, we have customer notifications, uh, smart notifications that can both be internally. I've talked about those and again, go to customers. So, you know, if you call a, a DX1 dealer today and, and they use this process and you schedule an appointment, they can decide whether immediately to send you an email or an SMS straight to your system saying, hey, we've confirmed your appointment. Here's the information we have and here's how to contact us if we need it. Um, you know, 24 hours before your appointment, I think this is a really hard one for dealerships. Yeah, we got them on schedule, but how many people just no show, right? Yeah. And forget. So, you know, when you think about taking the time to call everybody every day, the time before to remind them whether you're going to get them or not, you know, you don't know. So again, if you're in that type of role, we also have a notification that's reminding the customer, hey, your appointment's coming up in 24 hours. And then as the process goes, we have notifications that can be triggered by or set up by the dealer to then notify the customer of certain aspects. So, um, you know, if they have multiple jobs, a uh, dealer can let a customer know, hey, this job's been finished. A dealer can configure it to send out a notification when all jobs have been marked as completed. So, you know, from our side, at least with what we're doing and working with our customers, that, that's been one of the big focuses, you know, for them. Yeah, we can communicate amongst each other. We can look at stuff, but really keeping this up with the customers is the real trick. So I think, you know, that's one of the advantages of, again, using a DMS, any of us. And then in particular with DX1 is we're, we're trying to take that heavy burden, heavy time consuming tasks out of the process and give you something to rely on. Again, an employee that never leaves, right? That's really what we're focusing on with DX1. It's not just a dealer management system. It's a tool for you. And, and it's almost like an employee that can really, really do what you need and be reliable. I love that. Is there capabilities for a one-to-one -one communication? Like maybe say we need to get an authorization and we have to custom write a message to a customer through a text, right? Because let's just be real. That's yeah. how that's how most people communicate these days outside of a phone call. But, you know, do we have that capability to say, hey, Mr. Customer, we took a look at your motorcycle. We took a look at your side-by-side. -side. It's going to be X amount of dollars to perform this repair to install this part and we can get an authorization written that way through the system as well. Yeah. Um, you, you can exactly do that. So, you know, we have two types of, of communications in there. We have system generated notifications, which is what I was telling you about where our system's doing it for you. And then we, obviously we have a section where the dealer can go in per customer uh, you know, like on your phone, you know, it's going to be the same thing. We have a little module to where as things are being sent out, you can go in and look at those communications and jump into the conversation at any point in time. So even though you might have got a, a reminder sent by our system saying, hey, you have appointment in 24 hours, I could also jump in and say, hey, don't forget to bring XYZ, you know, something that they were talking about uh, that would maybe help with it or something along those lines and, and communicate back and forth with the customer, you know. Um, and then we also have a bunch of templates that are set up to help the dealers, but dealers can also design one click templates. So maybe you're not wanting the system to necessarily send something out automated, but you also don't want to sit and just type out every message every time. A dealer can also have a bit more control and just with one click add a template in there and also send it to a customer. And I, I'll tell you the best part of this. Yeah, it's, it's great for all that, but for being in the dealership for so many years and, and any of you listening out there, whether it's our system or another, think about this, you know, how many times has a customer come in and said, nobody called me? Nobody told me. 
you know, it's kind of a dicey situation sometimes. You know, maybe I got an employee where I'm like, oh, I'm suspect. I, I do believe the customer, you know, and other times, and that's maybe a little bit easier to deal with internally. You'll take care of the customer, but it's real hard is when you know your team's doing the right thing. You know, everything's gone and you're kind of getting your back put against the wall by the customer who's just kind of leveraging whether where you're going to go for them. And a lot of times it's nice when they say, well, I never got a call. Well, in our system for each customer, we also keep that history. And even down to the point that's showing red, unread, the exact time down to the second it was delivered. So, of course, uh, an employee is going to have to deliver that properly to the customer and understand. But it is it is nice. And I've seen this happen and I've even had to use it myself. I, I think I mentioned I used DX1 in a dealership before working with DX1. And I've I've had that situation come up where we're able to say, well, you know, we're keeping track of all this and it looks like you're reading them. And, you know, then you can kind of sugarcoat it and say, well, but, but let's just, you know, move forward. No problem. But I do want to let you know, our system does keep track. And ultimately, you know, you're just trying to defuse the situation, keep the customer happy and, and ultimately feel confident that when you tell a customer we did contact you, that's exactly what happened. I love that. I love that. So it keeps a little bit of accountability there, not only on the advisor side to be communicating with the customer, but also we can see the customer's interaction with the messages that we're sending. That's great. That's great. right. You know, and it's it's one thing to get a hold of somebody. And it's still another thing when you get into a he said, she said, too. Well, I, t- I yeah. talked with Justin. Justin said to be here at 10 a.m., you know, bike still on the rack, whatever it is, you know, versus you got a text message. I can come back and say, well, I sent you a message saying be here at 12 30 p.m. You know, again, it's not so much that you want to be, you know, going back and forth with your customers, but at least gives you the tools to prepare a, a response to handle it in a professional way. That's a good way to put it. Let's uh let's change gears to the technician. So we've gone through the customer interacting with the advisor. Now we've got the bike in the shop, we've got a repair order written, and it's time to get this thing assigned to a tech and start the repairs. Tell us a little bit about that workflow through the CRM clocking in for the job, uh, logging their hours, uh, logging out, completing, writing notes. Tell me a little bit about that in your experience. Yeah. I mean, at a high level, that that's exactly, you know, a customer comes in, we get an estimate written up, you know, our system has an estimate version and then a repair order version. So you can kind of have two states, you know, just kind of feeling things out and then, yeah, we're moving forward with this work. So, you know, our work estimate allows the dealer to kind of build, you know, a quote. We haven't assigned any technicians yet. We're not pulling parts out of inventory, but we're kind of working up something, right? I, I talked with Jacob on the phone. Here's some of his diagnostics. Here's some of the things we probably will need to do. And then when the unit shows up, we can convert it to an RO and start ordering parts and doing things like that. And yeah, I, you know, I will tell you it when it comes to this area, there is not a great standard practice that I see dealers using out there. You know, dealers who are really focused on reporting and numbers, you're in those dealerships groups, you have to do these things, right? You have to do certain things in a certain way. So when you're meeting with your peers, things are accurate. You know, I have lots and lots and lots of dealers, not just here, but other, even where I've been GMs, where I had to start working with a service manager who the hours just get added in at the end so they can close the RO. You know, in our system, we say, hey, there should be hours here. So we might come back and say, hey, there's no been technician hours logged. So, you know, for some dealers, things like that, technician efficiency, productivity, those types of things, It's just out the window. You know, the main thing is I got an RO, I got a customer on it, I got a unit on it, and I can add some parts and cashier them out. You know, that I would say a lot of times that's where the dealers are at. They're kind of finishing everything at the end. So, you know, um, 
So, you know, in that side, it's a little bit hard to say, you know, what those, what those workflows are doing for dealers. Um, but for those who are, are looking to improve in this area or the ones who use that today, I would say, yeah, that's that kind of standard workflow. I get it in after I've assessed what needs to be done. If I have those types of options on multiple texts, and obviously I'm looking at a schedule, I'm looking at, you know, competency, what type of job is this, who's qualified to do it. And then, yeah, Based at that time, I, I might add a tech and then put in, you know, we have allocated hours and worked hours, things like that. But that'll be the first part is to get a tech assigned. And then you would, you know, schedule it. And scheduling typically has something to do with parts. If all your parts are in stock and you're ready to rock and roll, that's great. You know, then you can look at a schedule and it can be pretty straightforward. You know, when you're looking at trying to manage a schedule and you got, you know, 50, 60 parts for a motor that are coming in and for multiple warehouses and some are canceled and some are back ordered. You know, that's where I think the DMS comes in really heavy when a dealer is going in and, and again, easily trying to understand all are all are my all my parts here, you know, are things on back ordered or things canceled. Um, you know, again, we mentioned with these internal notifications, that's one of our notifications that go to the service department and to the parts department if in receiving and a parts coming in is back ordered or canceled, you know, that's a notification coming into these users in real time. And, and those are really important things. I think, you know, we talked about that before you know, focusing on service, there's nothing worse than not having your parts that you need, especially for high maintenance things. And on top of it, when you actually do get your parts that come in, making sure that somebody tells me they're here, you know, these units, it's, this all costs money uh, for everybody, you know, units sitting here, storage, all that type of stuff. So, you know, I think that's kind of that next workflow. And then from there, again, I mentioned our job indicator type status, you know, that's where dealers will start, you know, using things, color-coded systems, things that are set up, to let the tech know where to go. Um, a lot of our dealerships are still, they they don't really have their techs utilize the DMS, right? Um, you know, they, they, they want their techs just focused on working on the units. Maybe they might look up some parts here and there. So I would say in a process like that, you know, the service rider is again, adding all that stuff. And then we have, you know, a job sheet. So once the service riders, you know, diagnose everything, add it in the parts, then they can print what we call a job sheet and they can, you know, for many of those dealers, you know, the techs have a, a rack on the wall or some system where a paper trail starts where it can come in and kind of let them know what they have, what's to do today. I mean, that's what I see a lot, to be honest, when I go into dealerships is something on the wall that says, you know, somebody's name for today, you know, repair orders done and things like that. So I think, you know, in terms of the process goes, that would be a kind of a standard process. Do you, uh, do you integrate with the book times, uh, warranty times, anything like that to have a standard, you know, book time for this particular job that's getting done repair wise? Um, it, we do have an integration with service manager pro. Okay. So, um, you know, if a dealer's using service manager pro, they can either set that up with them that does then integrate with us, or if they've, you know, been using it on a previous DMS and come over, you can integrate right in with us. And, you know, for now, that's where we we do most of that integration in terms of, you know, actually building a job. It's nice, you know, Service Manager Pro, you can have a lot of stuff. We also have standard jobs, things like that, that can kind of speed up the process when it comes to things like that as well. Got it. Okay, cool. So let's uh, now change gears to the manager, right? So we've gone through the whole process of getting it in, getting it on the rack, getting it fixed. Tell us some of the popular reports, some of these service managers, experienced service managers, new service managers, somewhere in between, 
tell us some of the most popular reports that would help these managers understand a little bit more about their efficiency of their teams, maybe where some of the bottlenecks are, and just maybe give us some advice on maybe some best practices from the management's perspective. I think one of our more popular reports when it comes to, you know, staying kind of where we're at with technicians right now, and this is kind of an automotive thing as well as what's called a W time report or wasted time report. And what that looks at is, you know, the dealership hours, and then it looks like allocated hours and then worked hours. And so what this does again is let uh, the dealership look a little bit more at efficiency with productivity as well, those types of things. Um, And I think, you know, for dealers who are using hours correctly, you know, actually logging in and out of jobs when they're being done and, and the information is actually good enough to report on that those types of reports, anything around technician hours seems to be something I, I talk with dealers about where we get feedback or in the past where we say, hey, we need more of this or more of that. Um, you know, for a lot of dealers, uh, you know, depending on the DMS, we have an idea of an open repair order. And then we also have a concept of jobs that exist within the repair order. So, you know, I know for a lot of our dealers, uh, they do run multiple units and multiple jobs on one repair order. So there, we have a lot of reports that are job related you know, just, you know, being able to look and see, you know, what jobs have been completed uh, on a repair order and and then what are not completed, why, you know, those types of things. So repair orders with open special orders, you know, things that are basically holding up the repair order. Um, I think in terms of, you know, what's happening now, you know, those are probably two big areas that dealers look, what are my open jobs and warranty? You can definitely throw a warranty in there, right? You know, those kind of those three areas, what open jobs do I have for customer? and warranty. And then, you know, are we staying on schedule? Are, are we being efficient? Are we doing what we're doing? And that's where those reporting tools come in. You know, as more from a management level, though, you know, you have your day-to-day operations. And of course, you have your month in and, and your reporting that's most likely due to somebody, um, whether you're on commissions or generally, you just have to report. So I think after that point, uh, and that's where I have a lot of conversations with managers, you know, they're kind of taking a big picture look, you know, we have a report that's just, you know, RO sales, closed ROs. Uh, open ROs. But in the end, it's just full of absolute tons of information, you know, about things like that. And then, um, so that's a valuable tool. Um, you know, sometimes there's dashboards that can be used in DMSs. We we have a, a KPI report in our service department for our service. So we try to, you know, offer them as many reports as possible. And this was a new report we added last summer, where, you know, again, this was my third year in here and starting to get to know more dealers and understand about the needs that they're looking for within our DMS. Um, that was one of the areas we kind of looked at was, okay, we got all these great reports, but how can we help the dealer kind of get it into one place? And on top of that, once you get it into one place and you mentioned mentioned this at the beginning, there there could be a large level of of experience there. You know, when somebody looks at, you know, their turnover rates or efficiency rates, you know, maybe they don't know if 3.4 is good or, you know, if tech efficiency is at 83% or something like that, well, that might not be good. Not realizing, well, that's actually the number you want to get at. Right. So we try to use some basic color coding. You know, green is good. Yellow is not so great. Red is bad. Things like that. And then also just try to offer explanations. I think that's something that gets overlooked in, in any DMS and reporting is the dealers ultimately try to figure out well, where are these numbers coming from. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's where I think the KPI report comes in good. We explain all those things out a little bit more and try to give them some guidance. I love that. Yeah. Oftentimes they're looking at the numbers and they go, I don't know what these things mean. Right. And that's not for everybody, but you can kind of look at a spreadsheet of sorts or some, some graphs and some charts and go, okay, well, is this good or is this bad? So that's, that's nice that you guys do that. Let me ask you about that color coding though, you know, where you're labeling it, green is good, red is bad. Is that for the whole DX1 community? Because you've got eyes on 
however many users or dealerships are using that system and you're kind of making an average from that, that 83% efficiency. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, we it depends on the, the actual uh, report itself. For example, the K, KPI report I mentioned, we do give a reference of where we pull these numbers from as a standard, you know, not necessarily something that DX1 has brought up and we just say, you know, these are guidelines, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, so yeah, we do our best to kind of help dealers in that area. But again, we... If, you know, if it's not a, a, a standard accepted, you know, type of industry thing, a best practice, we, we try not to get too far into what we don't know, meaning our dealers do things very different. And, you know, just thinking about technicians, yeah. some don't even use our tech, our, our dealership time clock. They just simply don't have uh, employees clocking in and out. You will not be able to use a W time report. It's a major component of that. Right. So, um, you know, some dealers pay flat rate to their techs or other have, you know, incentive programs. And that's where I find uh, dealers have some very unique programs for their techs. Right. I mean, that's not uncommon that dealers, you know, whether it be parts or sales, you know, some type of incentive plan out there to help, you know, give obviously incentive for people to do their job better or reach certain goals. So I think, you know, again, we, we try to help in areas we can, uh, you know, another example of the colors, um, not just always, it's not just good, bad, or this, but we, we know our dealers like colors. So when, uh, for instance, in our grid, when you're waiting on parts for an invoice, we have a little icon that will change colors, you know, back order, these parts have been received, but not picked up all these different statuses, uh, so that that dealers can look at it and the job indicator tool I told you about that is something um, that we actually let the dealers configure themselves so when it comes to color and deciding well was everybody going to agree that yellow stands for this that really doesn't happen too often so with our job indicator system we let the dealer go in and build in that workflow add their own colors to it and use it to kind of produce what they want so maybe for a dealer in one dealer's case, yellow could actually mean not good or red could mean not bad. And for another dealer, red could just mean something else. Um, but that's what, you know, why that tool is really important is because it gives the dealer their ability to put their fingerprint on it, what they yeah. feel is right. That's interesting. Uh, since you brought it up, you see some unique uh, incentive or, or pay plans out there. What is the most unique one that you've seen just from your own perspective and, and uh, adversely, what is the most common one that you see? You know, honestly, I don't, I, I can't say that I see too common, you know, if we were going to call common, it, it's, it's a pretty general type of incentive. You know, if you work X amount of hours, really, I think with the text, it can be an efficiency thing, you know, here's what's allocated and here's how optimal you're working. You know, how are you doing that? Um, and, you know, at a service writer level, there's, you know, parts, you know, a lot of times in the service department, you know, that's a great chance to upsell. You yeah. know, and depending on your store, and I know a lot of stores are trying to work on this right now, a lot of times it's just, oh, you're here for an oil change? Okay, that's exactly what we do, you know? Bolts could be missing, things could be hanging off the bike. We might make a note, but we're not in the service department really putting on our sales hat, right? And so I think, you know, those are, again, some of those tools where things get incentivized that, you know, hey, they're not at our parts department. You know, I, I have a local dealership, their, their service department's in a whole separate building, right? You know, those customers a lot of times are not even making it down into the big building. So you really got to think, hey, this this building needs to operate over here as well um, again. So I think that's one of those areas where we where we see, you know, dealers certainly trying to incentivize. And of course, for managers, I've been there over many, many years. You know, there's a high, a high level KPIs. Again, that's where that KPI report comes in, you know. But I think a lot of it has to do with the individual dealership, right? I mean, if me and you are running a dealership and we're good over here, we may not need to incentivize. And if we're really bad over here 
when you incentivize. So if I'm a dealer who my techs are not clocking in and out on time, I'm going to incentivize something to give them incentive to make sure to do what we need to do. So, um, you know, I don't mean to be vague on that answer, you know, exactly what they're doing, but it's, it's all over the map. And again, I think the best thing is I can say is those incentives are designed to be in your dealership where you need to improve best. You know, it's not always, you just got to incentivize your teams because that's what it does down here is the industry standard. Think about what an incentive is, right. That's to improve in an area. That's great. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, Let's switch gears to the sales department, right? So okay. this is the this is the other customer of the service department. Clearly, sales needs service not only for just getting a bike built out of the box, and when it comes time to sell, they PDI or prep it, and then you know it's in the customer's hands. But we can also go into some of the builds, right? Side by sides, especially in the last you know several years, are huge on you know twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars worth of wheels and tires and cages and light bars. Give us a little bit of uh, insight from the service perspective when they're dealing with their, arguably their number one or number two customer being the sales department on some of these builds and PDIs. Tell us a little bit of the interaction between those two departments. Yeah. Well, again, I think, you know, this is one of those areas across dealerships that they're always trying to work on. You know, you, you kind of nailed all those highlights, right? Right off the top, you know, starting just with I've sold a unit, the customer's standing here and it needs to be out the door. You know, those types of things, that type of communication, um, you know, those are kind of some of the obvious ones. And, and I agree with you about the builds. Again, this is where I think a dealership has to stand back and say, what are we good at? You know, if we're not good at selling parts, adding them onto the deal, it might be worth more of our incentive of getting them on the units, right? Um, you know, if we're a dealership and we have many dealerships where that customization is a big part of it then maybe we're kind of deciding what types of parts that come on. But we're, again, relying heavily on our, our sales department to be selling us, right? You know, hey, we may not be on the unit, but we got this type of upgrade package, the desert package. You know, it includes, the, you know, the roof and the winch and all this. And at the same time, it includes prepaid maintenance, you know, things like that, the warranty. So in a lot of, I think, dealerships overlook, and it does depend by the OEM, but, you know, if you install parts on a unit before it's sold, depending, especially if it's a manufacturer bolt-on part, those parts can possibly be covered under uh, an extended warranty or a manufacturer warranty because it was installed by the dealer prior to sell. And, you know, I think most dealers know that, but I still, you know, when I'm just kind of talking with dealers casually and we're talking about things like that and this topic comes up and you're like, oh, I, I didn't really think about it that way or, you know, you really didn't put that much thought into that side. So, you know, when you're doing that, again, that that definitely puts what makes them a customer to the service department because that's that our sales department is that sales department is, is relying on you, you know, because the sales department is just going to yes, 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 and sell, sell, sell. That's what their job is. That's a good thing, right? Um, getting that unit out the door. We don't want people changing their minds or going backwards or, you know, those types of things. And overall, in a, a power sports dealership, we're really hoping that people come back. You know, so making that bond between the service department and, you know, the sales department is really huge, um, especially for first time customers, customers that you're bringing under your dealership for the first time, um, you know, because I think we all know it's things like prepaid maintenance or, or a really growing business because it is hard to get the customers to come back all the time, especially if a customer doesn't know much about the units, um, you know, where to go or, or just anything, you know, they're going to explore on their own naturally. So anything I think that the customer or the dealership can do to kind of, you know, forge the customer under their roof, make sure that they know that their departments are talking well and that 
these parts that they're buying on the bikes have been professionally installed and can be professionally warranted and, and worked on and all those types of things are important, certainly to the major unit sell side. You, uh, I'm glad you brought up bringing them back, right? So the I, I often refer to the sale as the very first uh, relationship with that customer, right? Even if it's a repeat customer coming back after a couple of years and buying another one, but you know, we we often get judged on how well that transaction is, and and we should in the sales department. But when it goes over to the service department, it's now the service departments to take that you know that that customer journey through the next several years through interval service or accessory installs. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about that first service, right? Okay. So, what do you see the best practices for dealers in transitioning that sale to the first service? Uh, you know, when that customer brings it in after a break-in period, we're assuming this is a new bike, right? Or it's time right. for an old change on a pre-owned bike that, that they bought. But what does that look like? What's that handoff? What's that relationship building for this, you know, customer that is going from this department to this department within that one single dealership? How's that look to you? Well, it, it is very different in each dealership. You know, I was on the phone with a dealer this morning, kind of talking about this process. In fact, and understanding what they were doing, they were looking for some suggestions and help. And, you know, many dealerships hand people off, right? You know, I'm over with you in the office and we picked a bike, but you know, whether it's parts or something in service, you kind of get introduced and kind of hand it off over there. You know, in those types of cases, that, that's really important where again, that communication side comes in, you know, looking professional, looking efficient. If I'm running that type of system and I got you sitting at my desk in my office and we're really still working on getting to the, the signed paperwork, right? We're, we're deciding we want a roof. We want these things to go on, but we haven't signed any paperwork. Well, getting that information quickly from the service department is really important, right? You're sitting right across from me. Uh, and at the same time, my service department's running their service department, right? You know, still doing the things we all we just talked about, warranty and maintenance and whatnot. So, you know, I think making sure that you have a good system in place, um, to help your service department either be that liaison when they need, or if you're a service department, maybe work at doing things like more standard jobs or pricing lists so that when they're in the sales office, they can really get that stuff included in the cell. And this first service is probably got to be one of the easier ones. If you ask me, right. You know, whether they want a warranty or they're going to come back and do prepaid maintenance or whatnot. The reality is, I think if you're doing your job in the, the actual delivery of the unit, when you're walking the customer around and showing them and kind of doing that part, you know, booking that first service, they will need to do that. And, you know, being able to kind of sell that at the time of the sell, I think is really important. And still a lot of dealers, I, I think are really starting to see that light that, you know, this sales office is actually, a, could be a fairly big generator for my service department outside of warranty, right? Just selling extended warranties and HAP stamps where they come in because they had an issue. Um, but again, I think it's, you got to also sit down with your teams. And when we talk about incentivizing, and I think we talked about this before in the sales department, you know, typically that's one of the departments with the heaviest incentives. You've incentivized your people to do really nothing more than sell. You know, so when you think about that, if you're struggling with getting your departments to talk together or, you know, hey, it would be great if we could have got the customer in for the first service to kind of forge this relationship. But the sales guy's like, but if I do that, I have to knock a few bucks off the deal. This is how much money they have. Yep. Right. So I think you have to stand back and think about that. And when you end up in those situations, it, it tends to not promote good communication. Right. Because all the sales guys thinking about is his profit. And that's the way essentially most likely you might have set them up. Uh, maybe you re-incentivize your salespeople to say, well, hey, for every first service you include in here, we'll 
do an additional bump or something like that. You know, that would be a sense of we want to be better in that area. We want to sell more first service with our sales. Um, you know, we have dealerships who don't hand off to anybody, you know, kind of what we're talking about, the, the salesperson is going to handle it from beginning in. We have a lot of people who have that ability, whether they do it right, or the service manager agrees with it or whatnot. We still have a lot of shops where the sales office doesn't do any handing. They don't want handoffs, right? They want to make one smooth, seamless process. The same guy who's selling your unit can also help you with parts and accessories and should technically be able to help you with service. Um, you know, what's, what's better for the dealership, you know, obviously you got to decide from your side, but from my personal experience, there was a really good medium of still incentivizing, but making sure that the incentives were cross-departmental, that there was a goal for the store versus just the user or just that department. Cause again, if you set up incentives where they're kind of compartmentalized, me and you should do that. That this is what I'm I'm here to do is just this job. So it doesn't necessarily say, well, well let me go out of my way to help Jacob. Yeah. Right. In uh in my old business, we used to call it a pit pass, right? And this was actually part of the paperwork process. Uh, in between the, uh, you know, the write up and the close between the entitlement delivery, right? So if we're following the old Lemco steps, right, we would have the greet and the sit down and the sit on yes. and the write up, right? But when that customer says, yes, I'll buy it, there's typically a good portion of time, you know, it could be 10, 15, 20 minutes if there's a few customers selling, especially on a busy Saturday, to where the F&I uh, manager or the finance department is getting the paperwork ready, right? They always kind of like right. to pre-print everything, have their menus ready for when it's time to meet with their customer. They've got everything, you know, ready to sign, ready to pitch their products. And that is what I always felt was an appropriate time to introduce the customer to these other departments that you just talked about, right? But we did it in a form called a pit pass and it had to be included in the paperwork of the deal jacket when we close out that that customer right and right. we would take this pit pass we would take him over to the parts department say hey this is joe he's he's our main parts guy he can talk to you about some p a's right it's just it's providing a familiar face in the other departments because you just spent an hour or two with them in the sales department Right. And then you take them over to the service department. Hey, this is Bob. He's our number one service advisor. He'd like to get you scheduled, just like you said, on this first service. We need a break in period. It's a couple months. You know, the manufacturer recommends XYZ. He'll kind of give them a business card, say, Yeah, we can schedule you now, or I can give you a follow up call. Right. And then by that time, hopefully the FI manager is ready to, you know, invite them into that office. But, you know, in that process, in that pit, pa pit pass process, it's hard to say pit pass process. <laughs> uh, yes, you know, we, we basically introduce the customer to everybody else in the dealership while that, you know, that that the juices are flowing, the ethers up. Yeah, man, I just bought a bike. Okay, there's parts, there's service. I know what to do the next time I come in. I think it's really valuable stuff for a lot of dealers if they're not doing it already. Yeah, I agree 100 percent 100 percent Okay, cool. So let's switch gears. Let's go back to that parts department. I know that's where most of your expertise is. You got a lot of expertise, but uh, you got a lot of it in the parts department. Yep. And one of the things that we really wanted to talk about before it got really into season was the holiday promotions, right? So as we're recording this, it's the middle of September, right? Next month is the kickoff of the, you know, formal holiday season with Halloween, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas and New Year's, right? The big four, right? Into the winter months here. So kind of talk to us a little bit about what dealers should be doing as it relates to their DMS, of course, for the holiday season in regards to parts and just kind of getting that ready for the whole time of year. Yeah, well, I think you you, you start with a plan, 
You know, I know for myself and many dealers, we take a look back at what we did the year before, right? You know, when did things start ramping up? You know, when did they drop? What well, you know, we can say Black Friday all day long, but it's less of a Black Friday thing or Cyber Monday, Black Friday. There's Amazon Black Friday in the middle of July now. So, you know, from terms, those kind of standard terms are getting a little bit harder to plan off of. You know, I, I feel like earlier in my time, it's pretty easy. You know, after Thanksgiving, we're going to be pretty busy. We're going to be running for a couple of weeks and, you know, it wasn't too bad to plan for. Um, just like most of, I would say, you know, uh, big box stores now. I mean, I'm seeing, you know, little tiny hints at Christmas, right? Um, and internally, uh, we were talking about this kind of mentioning the same thing to dealers, you know. Uh, one great example is gift cards. You know, a lot of dealers still don't really utilize a gift card program. So, you know, that's something if you're listening right now and you're getting ready to go into holiday season, I can tell you from looking at our numbers, they spike through the roof. December is gift card month. There is no better month to sell a gift card than it is going to be in December. You know, so maybe you can think about promotions or other ideas. Uh, again, when you know, it's not only incentives uh, for your internal employees, but obviously incentives for your customers to come in. So, you know, I would say think about, you know, one, making sure you just have a, a mechanism for gift cards or gift certificates. I think, you know, not everybody's ready to buy something that day, but certainly they want to give a gift or something to somebody. Um, and then when you look back and you look at, you know, when we got busy, obviously within that information, you're going to see certain times of things that sell. You know, so when we talk about reporting and this is where people really earn their money, this is what I think separates a good manager from an OK manager is it's one thing to look at a report and turn in a report, but it's another thing to interpret a report, you know, and if somebody's really not looking at statistics or, you know, they're not actually using a little bit of math or some basic principles, it's going to be hard to really understand. You can't just look at a report and go, well, it looks like we're doing this. Um, and, and vice versa, you can pull numbers out all day long and it's still just a guide, right? But it's really good when you have your gut and when you have those numbers and your experience to kind of bring that all together. I think there's a lot of surprises for dealers that they might see when they go run those numbers. You know, if you said, well, I'm going to run everything we sold from November to December, what are the outliers? You know, what are the things that really do pop out? And, and that's where I think, you know, looking at those reports, our reports, you can export. Right. So you can put them into something like Excel and really get, you know, down and gritty with it if you want uh, start manipulating. That's as how I was as a manager. Um, you know, obviously, I think that's why I end up in a job like this today, like right from the get go. I was just trained that way. I was told this is the way to do it. And it made sense to me. You know, that's how we became profitable was making good decisions, understanding our cash flow and those types of things. Um, a lot of dealers, certainly speaking of cash flow, have to understand what do I have to spend? And how do I get it on time? You know, um, can I take advantage of a program in July or sometime early in the year to get product in or something coming up for that will give me terms in the following spring of the next year? No, I'm not finding terms. Well, you know, if you are working off of a budget with cash flow, then you might be making some really tough decisions in September, October and November where we normally spend here. But we're going to go a little light and we're going to put it up over here because we have to make choices within the dealership. So I think when you are at the parts department level as a GM or a parts manager, that's that's one of those big things you got to sit down and do is understand, you know, what did we do last year and what are our goals moving forward? And then, of course, there's the trends. You know, again, this is where a manager is earning his money. Yeah, you'll see trends in reporting, but that reporting was from last year. 
So what is the new thing? You know, do I have my finger on the pulse? And and am I looking at what my competitors are doing? So there's a fair amount of research, right? I mean, if you've been in the business a little bit, you probably know what your competitor does around Christmas or what their kind of go-to type thing is. So it's it's probably good to have your own go-to if you can have something like that. And, you know, I've, I've seen stuff, you know, get a free gift card with the purchase of a vehicle, $100 gift card, you know, all those types of things that we see the big box retailers doing, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to necessarily look and say what looks successful and then try it and apply it and see if it can work for our consumers. Speaking to your experience here, what are the outliers when you were, uh, you know, a manager in the parts department or even at DX1, maybe seeing some of these trends, what, what do you see are the big holiday sale movers? I see a lot more of, you know, what I would call that kind of checkout line type purchasing, you know, having lots of things around the counter, stocking stuffers, you know, when, when the way people are spending then, you know, they're shopping a lot of the times versus, you know, when I go into a dealership, most of the other time of the year, I'm going in for a reason. I need oil. I need this part. I need more tear offs. I need more tires. But, you know, if I send a shopping list to my aunt and said, hey, you know, I want some new Thor gear or something like that. And they end up over dealership. She might be her first time in the dealership potentially. And she might go in and start looking for things for her. So maybe sometimes you look at some non-traditional type of power sports products. You know, am I thinking about some cool uh, motorcycle themed wrapping paper, right? Small, but think about it. If you're in a dealership, that's a nice little touch. Do you offer gift wrapping for your customers? Why not? Big box retailers do it. I let them do it. We know people will pay for it. So sometimes when you're just thinking about those little special touches um, going in, and I think, you know, working out from the counter, it kind of goes the same way. Like, what are things that non-traditional power sports customers that we're going to start to see would still typically also buy at some other places. Can we kind of get our stake in that market? Um, apparel is always huge, right? Pajamas and those types of fun things. Again, just remember around Christmas time, people are having more fun. They're looking for things that are maybe less maintenance. So, and, and you got to know your market. You know, if I'm down in Florida, it's going to be warm. You know, if I'm in Montana, it's going to be a little cold. Um, we're probably going to have two different types of customers. So, you know, understanding, you know, well, what are, what are those types of things? And again, you know, we talk about it with the dealers. I said, well, maybe we can get a deal right now where we can order a bunch of stuff and get terms later in spring. Maybe you set up some type of program for your consumers. You know, this is a great chance. Oh, we struggle to get people to come back in for first service. Well, in the month of December, every unit purchased over XYZ gets a free first service. Yeah, we're kind of giving a little bit of a way. We can probably build it into the price of the unit without much of a problem. And reality is, if I'm struggling in getting first service, they're going to come back because I gave it to them. So, you know, when a dealer's thinking about things, you may not want to give away service all year long. But again, you have to compete with everybody around you and you need to be competitive and make sure you're giving consumers a reason to come into your shop and spend on things they're not just getting for maintenance or because they have to. Speaking of giving things away, you uh, you mentioned that earlier, as well as gift cards. What's your what's your outlook on the rewards points programs for a lot of these dealers? I think it's tough to figure out. I mean, we've been looking at it. We've been talking with our consumers about it. It's not so Starbucksy, right? It's not a ten punch card. Um, you know, the grocery store seems pretty straightforward for me. I get points there all the time. They go for gas discounts and stuff like that, but. You know, working with some of the points providers and then talking with dealers, man, there's a lot of configuration there, right? You know, how do you decide how many points you get for a bike? You, know, you can't give away a point, same point for a dollar on a bike you can necessarily give away at your parts counter, right? Like, what do these points redeem at? 
you know, again, it's it's not as simple as everybody thinks of like, well, we can just turn on a program and redeem. The few dealers we talked about are dealing dealing with this as we look at trying to integrate it in with what we're doing, is still trying to understand the best way to use it. Um, and if you, you know, any customer goes out there and finds a power sports dealership that might be using one of those programs, uh, just go to the terms and conditions page right? Those are the challenges, you know, can't be used after X amount of days, can't be used on parts with discounts, can't be used. I mean, it's just condition, condition after condition, which I don't see at my grocery store. I just get points, right? So dealers are not big enough to be a grocery store to just throw away some change to overall support a program. So I think that's the part dealers have to look at. In concept, I think it's a great idea. I really do. I think especially if you're trying to get customers a little bit more tied to your dealership, a little bit more loyal, it makes a lot of sense. I do that as a consumer. If I have good places with good incentives, promos, punch cards, I use them. So I think it's there. I think it's just, you know, in general, each dealer starting to figure it out a a little bit about how they can do it. And for the most part, to be honest with you, the dealers who are using it, it all gets kind of narrowed down to parts and accessories with some conditions, no discounts, no nothing. We really, maybe you get like a hundred points for buying a bike, but you're not getting like a point per dollar spent. Maybe if you sign up as a new customer, you get 50 points. But, you know, again, dealers are just starting to fill it out. Because I don't think all dealers, and I I have to wrap my mind around it looking at this, how much is this going to cost me? Yeah. Like, how much am I actually giving away? And do I have the margins to do that? So I think, you know, aside from the the program as a dealer, you really, really got to look hard. It's no different than just discounts at your counter discounts for your customers, right? We have to understand how much margin do we have and how much are we just giving away? Are we just spinning gears to keep our customers happy? We definitely want to keep them happy, but we need to make some money here. So again, I think any dealers thinking about that, that's one of the important things you need to to understand for your dealership. I think you, I think you bring up some good points, especially when it comes to the terms and conditions, you know, and one that you did mention was, you know, expires at the end of the year. You know, so if you're buying all this holiday stuff or you're in one of these programs or promotions and you get rewards points, you know, they they may expire in a couple months, you know. And so, uh, you know, another point I want to bring up on that is that there might be also some fatigue or oversaturation, because if you think about it, the, the day in the life of a human in this country, every store or every business that you interact with just about, you mentioned your grocery store and your gas. I mean, AutoZone has one and, you know, this place has this one and everybody's got a reward system and seemingly they don't have a lot of the restrictions that you mentioned, but we just can't seem to get a real good recipe, at least one that I've seen in a lot of the power sports dealers. They're out there. uh, Some dealers don't choose to do them, but yeah, they're very complicated programs and they may not make the most sense to customers when they're looking at a certain marketing promotion to entice that business, you know, you know, to come in on the very first swing or a repeat business. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think if one. a dealer wants to dip their toe in it, right, start with something simple, like just some basic, here's 50 points for doing this. Maybe yeah. not so much if you don't understand what it's going to cost you on the sell side and you can understand what 50 points means to the dealership, then those are those incentive things, new customers, just start there. Every new customer gets, you know, 500 points or something like that. Spend over a thousand dollars in a month, get 10 points, something at least you can control. That's not variable. You know, again, if you don't understand it, don't be in the variable mode, do something you can understand and control. If you're a motorcycle and power sports dealer, you already know the biggest marketplace websites are clunky, slow, and riddled with ads. Even if you pay big bucks to list your inventory, your competitors can pay even more to outrank you. That's why we created Moto Hunt. 
Our site is famously streamlined and quick, with no extra nonsense to confuse buyers or dealers. That's why we rank so high in search results without having to spend millions in advertising. Why pay three times as much? At MotoHunt, one low price covers everything a dealer needs to get their inventory listed and collecting leads fast, with no multi-level pricing tiers and no way for your competition to out-premium you. No matter how many listings or leads you generate, your subscription price is the same. Click the link to find out how MotoHunt can help you start generating more leads today. That's a great point. That's a great point. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears here and let's talk about uh, for for the end of this podcast here. We're getting close to the end. Let's talk about our end of year reconciliation, right? So kind of on the theme of getting into the holiday, into the end of the year, right? We're getting into our busier season, especially with the parts. Uh, let's talk about a reconciliation bin counts. You mentioned cycle counts in the previous one. Tell yep. us a little bit more about that and remind us some good practices of what we should be doing before December 31st. Yeah, well, uh so just, you know, let's say for users that may be listening the first time, I always think it's good to explain cycle counting and kind of annual counting just at a high level again, right? So uh, I'm a big fan of cycle counting. Um, my inventory is live every day. It's constantly moving. And my experience, especially when I first started, is if we were an annual type of dealer, especially if we were big, those those numbers were bigger, the gaps, you know, what we lost, what our difference is in our inventory. And it was very hard to understand why. You know, why are we upside down 30 or $40,000 in an OEM brand of parts? You know, it's already happened. You know, by the time you get there, maybe you can assess that and then go for the next year and say, okay, well, we don't want to do this again. We think we know why. Um, and a lot of dealers have to do that. You know, I, I want to say with this topic, I think it's one of the hardest things a dealership has to deal with. Um, and a lot of that's just simply down to the dealership's resources. I mean, many, many of our dealerships um, even when they're investing into, you know, as much as they can, it is a race. You know, every day is just a grueling, grueling race. And even when things are good, it's just, you know, time to add in other things are really difficult. Um, you know, take a step from that for dealers who have a lot of resources, but are just busy. The next step is where we start to get in where dealers are like, I just, I don't have any resources for this, you know? And I think that's where the year in kind of comes in, you know, the cycle counting is something we're doing all the time you know, weekly, I could say, Jacob, this week, you're counting PGA, you know, this category or this brand or this, whatever it may be. So you really will never stop, right? That's the best way to keep your inventory up to date, especially as you're trying to make, you know, purchasing decisions and whatnot. Um, you know, towards the end of the year, that tends to be a bit more realistic for dealerships, though, who really don't have the capacity to kind of do that. Uh, while I'll say while they're open, really, that's how most dealers say it. I can't do inventory while I'm open. Um, and some of that's limited to your DMS. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say any names. I've used these, but I, I can't necessarily do inventory while I'm open because there's not a mechanism to account for what's being sold, right? So that's simply a challenge just for dealers that pushes them away from using cycle counting. And that happened to me in the past as a dealer. Um, and that kind of forces your hand to do something where you're either closing down. And if you're going to close down, most dealers are like, well, Let's close down that week after Christmas to New Year's or for a few days, right? That's that's really when I see a lot of that time frame come. We plan for it internally. We do webinars in December. So we start gearing people up for that. Um, but again, you're usually closing down your store, right? You know, you're shutting down and you're still bringing in your employees to work. <laughs> so I think, you know, just understanding again where your business is at. Uh, maybe, maybe you can't 
you don't have the capacity to do cycle counting. But in terms of what our conversation is right now, my advice would be, well, maybe at least for this, the fourth quarter, we're coming up against Christmas, it will probably be a good idea to go do some form of inventory over here. Right. You know what? Again, we go back to this, this holiday plan. What's our plan? Well, our plan is to just, we're going to sell so much gear. That's what we're advertising that when you buy a unit, you get a free helmet and when motocross, you get this and that. So it'd probably be a good idea if we went and did inventory in that area. Right. If we're going to be promoting these products, we should probably have our arms around it and make sure it's correct. And that's just a little bit of the sales approach. You know, if you're an owner, if you're a bean counter, if you're one of those people that's actually paying bills, it has another aspect, right? Which is, well, you know, depending on how I'm running my business, there's a good chance I either got some quarter or annual stuff I need to file with my taxes. And so, you know, again, that's another good place to understand, well, it's not just about making money. That's a good time of year to close stuff out. You know, what do we not want to count? You know, if you're going to be a year in counter, like, man, we got a bunch, let's just get these out of here. You know, we know they've been sitting here for a year or two. Let's actually try not to count them. You know, let's just sell them on out. So again, you know, understanding where those areas of your dealership are, where you can maybe at least focus on if you don't have the capacity to close down. Um, because ultimately, and I, I, if you're a user in a dealership today and you're not an owner, uh, think about this. And it took me a long time to even remember there's a lot going on when it comes to finances in the background. And, you know, when you get that part that the person returned and you kind of just casually put it back somewhere, or it just kind of ends back or you don't do the right process, ultimately that's costing your owner. And that's probably costing you in the end. No, we all want raises. We all want better computers. We all want more resources, all better shirts. We all want these things. And our owners want to do that, but they need money to do those types of things. So, you know, if you're at the counter level, remember, these are the things that will, probably hopefully make you stand out as an employee of helping your dealership get to a point when it comes to the year end, things like, do we just obsolete parts or do we write down parts, right? There's different directions. And that's where those owners, the people who are responsible for those things are working with their attorneys, their business managers, their accountants, these people who can advise a local business. Well, here's the types of uh, tax breaks or things you can do in this state or whatever it might be for your local business. So yes, there's a part getting ready for sales, but yes, there's it just happens to coincide that if you're a year in inventory person, if you wait to start to think about all that stuff to the last week, it's also going to be a nightmare. So you got to look at both those angles from the customer perspective and then what's healthy for our business. That sounds terrible waiting to the last minute to do all these big jobs, man. You mentioned OBS in there. What should we do about obsolescence? We're doing our bin counts. We're doing our cycle counts. We got our end of year plan. We come across a lot of OBS sitting on a shelf collecting dust has been for the last couple of years what do we do with those parts do we just throw them in the trash do we have a sidewalk sale what's your best guess on how we should get rid of that stuff well this is where i say you you got to get with your business person right because a lot of this has some type of business implication most likely on your taxes right most dealers are taxed on their inventory levels right so that's where somebody i just unfortunately I could say what works for me, but this is a really careful topic, right? Because I'm not in each dealer's situation. And in one dealer's situation, it might just be better to write down the cost of the parts to a penny. In another dealer's situation, it might be better to just obsolete them and, and maybe have to get rid of those parts. I know a lot of places you have to destroy those parts, right? So you, my best advice is to have a good business person, somebody who actually has a legal understanding or, you know, 
is looking after your legal best interests as a business and as a dealership and follow their lead. And then from there, once they tell you what's best for the dealership, then you, I feel like I had to do it. And most GMs and other stuff, you need to put your foot down. This is one of those processes for most mini dealerships. I won't say most mini dealerships. It's just, it's a real struggle. Uh, and it's not hard to tell as a consumer sometimes, right? We go into dealerships and I, there's stuff with two inches of dust on it and stuff. I know that's from like 1989, right? You know, <laughs> that's not a good thing. You know, that's ultimately costing the dealership. And it's pretty easy to tell. Oh, there's not really, there's no concept of obsolescence here. There's no selling it. There's no marking it down. Somebody's still planning on selling that, you know, <laughs> or something like that. It's, it's, it's one of those processes and I'm not knocking dealers because I've been there been there right you know young at the counter sometimes eh, i don't care as much and you know, put it in the box it's some that's my manager's job to figure i did the return right, right. and then the manager starting to go okay uh but i have all this other stuff to deal with how do, am i going to deal with obsolescence i remember feeling that that burden of trying to figure it out but in the end um within most cases in most businesses or dealerships it's coming up with a process and sticking to it right so you know the easy thing is when you need to understand what your obsolescence terms may be with your vendors. You know, I've had some time where you get a, a percentage of your part sales, you know, depending on an OEM or you get a certain time frame or what, there may be some conditions on your obsolescence as well. So I think you have to understand that, you know, where, where are we returning our most parts, you know, where are our biggest offenders type of things, and then come up with a process. You know, I think when I say obsolescence, I think of something that's more of a, a, a stepped process and maybe I might not be doing it every day. Um, and one thing that can help, which I, I do see happens to a lot of dealers is you may have the opportunity to do an actual vendor return. Maybe somebody brings back a battery or something like that, that you've done and you know, you're going to get some type of credit or you can send it back, whatever it may be. You just need to make sure um, that maybe you can start catching some of those things as they go. You know, again, these are pieces of advice for dealers who struggle to do inventory, right? It's why I, I mentioned our smart inventory or smart notification system has an obsolescence notification that can be set part by part. That's what that's for. It's for you dealers out there that just really struggle with getting this annual inventory done or inventory at all. We'll start chipping away at it, right? And two ways you can do that in our system. One, we have a notification for forced sales. Talk about throwing things off, Right. So every time you get somebody's for sell something in your dealership, you're going to get a notification. You know why you got a for sale? Your inventory was off. So that's what that whole thing does is it prompts the dealer to say, look right now, go to this part, count it, put in that number, update the notification, removes itself, right? Um, the days to obsolescence. So um, obsolescence, maybe we can use a different word too. It's just some, re just a return policy. So maybe if I do a certain type of buy where I got some incentives or part of the incentive of the buy is send back what you don't sell. Well, you have to send it back by March 30th. Yep. I guarantee you half the dealers that sign up for that program on April 1st are like, oh no, oh no, we just missed the date and I have a whole wall through of stuff. So my whole plan just shot out the window. Now I have to go tell my owner when the bill comes in for a bunch of this stuff that didn't sell. And now it's not selling. So again, you know, just thinking about um, keeping up with all those types of things that can happen, you know, with your direct vendors. If, if they don't have a necessary obsolescence return, then you need to be very aggressive when things come back, not to set them on a shelf and say, we'll do it at the end of the month, or we'll get to it every six months with this obsolescence or return shelf, whatever it is. Cause I see those things all over dealerships. I've had them in our dealerships, right? They're not bad, but those tend to be the places with artifacts on them. 
they just start piling up. And then that's that part of the dealership that everybody just kind of stares at and puts their arms up in the air. Follow-up question on that. When you have a program by one OEM or one vendor, I mean, there's, there's 20, 30 different vendors that an average dealership's parts department has to deal with, and they all have different terms for their you know return policy or OBS policy, whatever we're calling it. How does one dealer best organize that stuff? Uh, you know, if it's, if it is with the DMS, great. If it's not, I mean, how does one memorize that without memorizing it more or less to know when that date's coming up? Yeah. I, per vendor. I, I, I don't, you know, maybe if you deal with three or five vendors and they're the same people year over year, but if you're our average dealership, especially around say like a holiday time where promotions may come up, right. You know, you get stuff here and there from the big distributors when they got new gear releases or new things, of course, they want to get it all pre-sold or they want to try to get as much of it out as they can. Um, you know, again, I, I can say for myself, a lot of times I just had to use my own system internally. It's pretty simple. I go into my calendar and I'd set an event and, you know, put it two weeks, three weeks ahead. And I'd mark down all my terms and, you know, kind of tackle it that way. Again, I know I'm kind of tooting DX1 here a little bit, but think about what, that's one of the tools that we have that dealers really like. And so now rather than going and setting that date, I can go in as I'm receiving these parts, I can just put in the, the obsolescence date because maybe not everything needs to go back, right? You know, I think as a general, we could say obsolescence is parts that have not been sold for X amount of time. And I think in general, people think a year, right? I think that's just kind of one of those things, oh, we do obsolescence at the end of a year so that they think about it yearly. But the reality is that's that's not, that's just a generic way of saying it. I could also say I got, you know, $10,000 worth of helmets from this distributor. It's not necessarily obsolescence, but I can send it all back by June 1st. So as I'm receiving that stuff, I can go in part by part and just put that day range, 90 days, 85 days, whatever I want to do. And then what that's going to do is start notifying me in real time for each one of those parts. Because otherwise I still have to go pull inventory list of parts, send somebody over there and start counting and looking through it all. That takes up time. What's better to me is that I'm getting a notification each day to let me know, you told me to tell you in real time that this part is this day's old so you can make a decision. So that's, the I think, one of the better ways to handle it. But again, you're relying on somebody who's receiving to do their part. You know, this is where I, I just I have total empathy for many managers out there because the same thing for me. I got, you know, and I will say to all of you listening right now, Everything we talk about is always in a perfect world here for me and you, right, Jacob, in a podcast, right. I can just just talk away up here. That, oh, you just do this and you just do that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying these are the paths you need to take to get going. And in the case where I was going is I could have put that whole plan forward. But if my receiving person forgets, the whole plan goes out the window. So everybody has to be on the plan, right? It needs to be understood that in the parts department, this is a goal and things that might be good to think about put a calendar up that everybody can see. Okay, we got smart notifications, that's great, but maybe it just needs to be big. Again, understand your employees. Are they visual people? Do they self-organize? You know, How good am I as a manager? Where are strength, strengths? Where are our weaknesses? And that's where you put it in. If our weaknesses are ignoring these smart notifications, then I need a big sign in front of my desk that says, hey guy, it's gonna cost you X amount of money on this date. And that's what I work off. If that works for you, that's what I would do. You know, but otherwise, I would say, regardless of what DMS system you're in, we all design tools to try to help you with this reports, different things. So come up with a process, 
tie a string around your finger and be dedicated to it. And your business will see the rewards. No, no question. And for the managers out there, you know, I think the old sound advice is that if you can't explain what the process is, you can't call it a process, right? You have to be able to explain it to the whole team. That's right. So that's good, man. I like that about the OBS stuff that, uh, you know, the, the example you gave of, you know, if I've got 10,000 bucks worth of helmets and a year goes by and they've got a, they've got an annual return policy where I can get all or a portion of that, just returning it and, you know, exchanging and, and flipping out my inventory. So I got all the new fresh stuff this year by returning some of the old stuff that doesn't sell. You know, the, the old saying is, is that if you're not making money, you're saving money. And that's really the both, both of the best scenarios you could have for any business. So that's great, man. That's great. Anybody listening to this that is not following some of those tips that you're giving, I think is really losing out. So, yeah. And we've talked about Jake, I just want to mention, you know, internally, the theme we kind of been using around what our goal on parts I mentioned to you is nickels and dimes, nickels right? and dimes, selling helmets and selling gears with margins are great, but you know, it's, there's a term externality. It's not really a power sports one, but it's, it's the costs to your business that don't show on the PL, right? And, you know, the time it takes to call every customer for the special order, the time it takes when our service departments didn't communicate, the times when my receiving guy didn't mark the obsolescence date, and then we lost the money there. This is all stuff that you've done, or you've sold the stuff, and now your money is just kind of trickling away. You're not going to see that in a report. You're not going to see that in your PL. But you have to look around and say, yeah, why am I still not making the type of money I want? And that's where you're going to see those types of things. Externality. I like that. Yep. All right. Well, I think on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap up our podcast today. His name is Justin Quinn. He's with DX1. And this is our third round on DMS. So hopefully you've caught the first one. You caught the second one. You're listening to the third one now. You're catching all these great tips. We've talked about process. We're talking about pieces within the DMS can help you make more, help you make your a team, yourself, your management, your business more efficient, making money, saving money, and just being an overall good operator. So Justin, just want to say thank you again. I appreciate you coming on for yet again, the third time. And we really appreciate you here at the dealership fix it and, you know, lending your time, lending your advice to us and hopefully some dealers find some great value from this. Any last departing words before we call it a day, my man? You know, I just, I want to, it's more just, you know, talking our dealers or not, you know, keep your heads down out there. I know right now dealers are really, really struggling with finding good quality people, you know, turnover is high. It's a big struggle. Keep your head down. These things we're talking about, the things I, I listened to your podcast from other guests, uh, it's all good. You know, it's not easy, but just chip away, you know, keep your momentum up, keep morale up and doing that will just be a big help moving into the new year. Thanks for saying that, man. I'm sure there's a lot of dealers out there that are feeling it, but uh, we will prevail, right? This industry always seems to find a way. That's it. All right, man. Well, uh, thank you again. We just want to say uh, thanks to all the dealers out there, all the operators, all the staff, anybody in this power sports industry. You know, this is the uh, this is the glue that kind of binds us is talking about these problems, talking about these things from experts like Justin or anybody else that you heard on this podcast. We try to bring value to this. So if you see value in it, if you're listening to it now, make sure to like, share, subscribe, and definitely pass this along to someone who else who, who might find it beneficial to them or their dealership or their position. So Thank you again, Justin, and we'll call it a day at that. Thanks for having me, Jacob. See you next time. See you.